Good morning, everyone. I'm going to let you file in here. I'm going to plug in my computer here. So we ended our series last week on Heroes of the Faith um, with talking about Miss Corey Ten Boom. And this week, for this month, we're going to be starting a series, a new series, on the spiritual disciplines. I have always found fall and winter, in particular, just really good times for some quiet and for contemplation, to find some, some spaces for, for some peace and serenity. Um, and so I, we thought maybe we would kind of jump into this with the spiritual disciplines and take a look at what are some practices, what are some things we can do in regards to like some self-care, right? Because um, there's a whole lot of um, things that take away our peace out in the world right now. And there's a little, whole lot of things that can cause us some anxiety and some stress and stuff. And so what are some tried and true thousands of years old spiritual practices that we can put into our life that have been working for people because God meets them in that place of talking about this morning, having a life of simplicity, finding times of solitude where we can get alone with God and just get face to face with our Lord. So I'm going to pray and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come this morning. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that Lord, no matter what, Lord, just even as we were kind of praying about this morning uh, as we gathered together for, for those of us who are serving this morning, God, Lord, that no matter what's going on in the world, your place on the throne is established. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the I Am. And you are above all and beyond all things, Lord God. And so we can put our hope in you. And there is absolutely nothing going on in our world that is any kind of a surprise to you, God. You knew it all before the world even began. You, Lord, exist outside of linear time and space. And so you know, God. <laughs> and Lord, you care about us. You love us. You chose to incarnate and come and live among us, God. Lord, we thank you that you, Jesus, are a living God. And you get us. You understand us, Lord. Amen. So I want to start off with simplicity. I'm going to show a couple pictures here. Now, folks who hoard things, part of it is mental illness a lot of times. But a lot of times also, it can be simply a matter of insecurity or fear that we live in. And that's just not the heart of God. If you think about Jesus, Scripture talks about how the Son of Man only had the clothes on his back. He had no home in which to lay his head. 
He trusted God for his every day. But in our society, particularly in our Western society, we are so obsessed with stuff. Like, we need stuff. And I will admit, this is one of the areas of the spiritual disciplines that I probably wrestle with most. Not the stuff part, but if there's a shiny new gadget out there, I want my wife nodding her head right now. Everyone noticed my wife was nodding her head. If there's some shiny new gadget out there, I want to mess with it. I want to see how it works and what it fun- how it functions and how how things operate and like it's just it's that curious like kind of little kid part of my being of who God made me that I I just love that stuff. It's why I can be 50 years old and still like be able to handle the newest technology or keep up with how things are functioning because I'm just, it's fun for me. It's curious for me. I, I enjoy it. But if there's a shiny new widget out there, I want to see it and mess with it. Like, it's a really good thing I'm not a rich man, because I would probably have too many technological things, you know? I'd have a car like Kit, for those of you who are old enough, a car like Kit who talks to me, and how are you today, Michael? You know, just like, I mean, I love those kinds of things. But simplicity is something that we can cultivate and create within us. It's this inward reality of being able to have a simple life that can then demonstrate itself in an outward lifestyle. But both that inward and that outward simplicity are necessary. How many times have you, I know I've done this throughout my life, I have made my faith and my relationship with God overly complicated. Like, God, I need to do this thing, and I need to do that thing, and then there's this other thing, and... And simplicity is simply placing myself before the Lord and saying, God, here I am. Like, our faith can be that simple. Our faith can be that easy. I I love theology, and I love wrestling with theology, and I love wrestling with the Word, and I, I love, like, sussing out, like, the context of something, and what did Paul mean when he was saying, you know, this or that, or, or what did Jesus mean by, you know, you have to become a child. I mean, I, I like that stuff. But at its core, at its core, our faith is simply recognizing the need for a Savior and accepting that He died for us and forgave our sins. Like, at its core, our faith is that simple. How many times in our lives, though, do you hear other people say, or you say, I need note the word need, need X, Y, or Z. And do I really? Like, do I really need X, Y, or Z? Are there better ways that my finances could be used? Are there better ways that my time could be used? Are there better ways that my energy could be put towards? Do I really need what that thing is? Can I have a dialogue with God and see if that's actually what I'm supposed to be about? The inward reality of simplicity of simplicity is beautifully encapsulated in Matthew chapter 6, especially where Jesus' concluding words are that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. If you've been spending any time around me here on a Sunday morning, you're hearing me say this over and over and over again. We have to seek first the kingdom of God. 
and the righteousness of this kingdom. That is all that's really needed for life. Can we have this laser beam focus of this life with God? And part of God's kingdom is this inward reality of simplicity. I want to read Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves. Remember how we started out? Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Have you ever heard the term entropy happens? Entropy does happen. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Well, I'll stop there for a minute. Your heart will always pursue what it is you value as treasure. What does your heart orient towards? What do you desire? And is it the Lord? Is it Jesus? Is it relationship with God? The eyes of your spirit will allow revelation light to enter in to your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. How profound will be the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. This is why I tell you, says Jesus, never be worried about your life, for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at all the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? So which of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? And why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And yet even Solomon, in all his splendor, was robed in beauty more than these? So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time, and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes that you need, even though you live with such little faith? So then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For that is the, what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things that your body requires? So above all, constantly chase after the kingdom of God. I'll read that again. So above all, verse 33 says, constantly chase after the kingdom of God and the righteousness that proceeds from him. 
then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way, one day at a time, for tomorrow will take care of itself. I find so much encouragement (laughs) in the words of Jesus there. So much encouragement. Like I said, laser focus. Laser focus on Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. To experience this liberating spirit of simplicity will affect how we live, sometimes really dramatically. However, we quickly learn that this outside lifestyle, this outward lifestyle of simplicity will be as varied as the individuals and circumstances that make up their lives. This is something I felt like was really important for us to think about. We must never allow simplicity to deteriorate into another set of soul-killing legalism. Do you remember that whole teaching Jesus talked about where there's the plank in somebody's eye and the splinter, right? Like, because God has called me to live or be a certain way regarding simplicity doesn't mean that I then put that on you. And if you're not doing the exact same thing I am, then you're in sin. And Jesus might not even like you very much because you're not walking this out exactly the way I am. Right? It's just stupid. It's wrong. It's not biblical. What's Jesus calling you to do? What's God calling you to do in the arena of the discipline of simplicity? For example, we can think of things when we're approaching simplicity in terms of buying things for their usefulness rather than just their status. I would love, seriously, I'm, I'm, this, I'm being dead serious here. I would love to have a Tesla. I really would. <laughs> they are so cool. <laughs> I mean, they're just all, all the technology and it, like, kit, it talks to you. It can even self-drive to a certain extent. I mean, it's just so cool. I would love a Tesla. My 2004 gets me where I need to go at work just fine right? (laughs) And it's paid for. (laughs) And it works. It's just as useful as the Tesla. They have an equal amount of usefulness. One's paid off and the other would set me back 70k, which is more than my wife and I paid for our first home. Almost twice, I think, (laughs) close to. Anyway, like, you know, it's just, it's a little insane, right? We can learn to reject, also, in simplicity, anything that produces an addiction in us. I know people who are addicted to buying clothes and getting new clothes in the latest fashion. I know people who are addicted to, you know, of course, the, the normal things we assume, right? Drugs and alcohol buying those things. I know people who are addicted to getting a new car every year. 
I mean, there's, there is all these different like, types of addictions, right? If, so if you're purchasing something and it's producing an addiction in you, can we learn to do with, live without it? Can we like use something? I came up with this idea. I was like, well, I, don't, I can't own a Tesla. Well, I, I, I suppose if I like, if we really, Christy's saying no. If we really tried, we could probably make it happen if we needed to. Um, but that's not a good choice, right? It's not a good choice. Um, but if I just wanted the experience of that, I could like go rent one for a day, right? Just as an experience. And, and so like, do I have to actually own it? I don't. So like, are there ways that we can experience things that, that, that we might be thinking about or dreaming about or that might be really cool without having to overcomplicate our lives and keep our lives instead simple? I think we can. Like, let's get creative about this. When our heart is right, the Spirit of God can help guide our outward decisions. See, simplicity is both a discipline and a grace. It's a discipline because we're called to do something. That takes discipline. Simplicity does not just fall on our heads. Fall in our heads. Sorry, I mispronounced. I miswrote that. But we are called to take up a consciously chosen course of action. Simplicity is a choice every day because American society reflects the complete opposite of simplicity, right? Like you just look around our world <laughs> and it wants to complicate everything. Like you need this and you need that and you should be doing this and, and how come you're not here with the thing? And like there's just so much, right? And there's so much noise and there's so much just coming at us all the time. And, and life is just not simple. I think anybody can agree that life is just not simple. And our particular culture in the United States um, is kind of at on steroids. I've been to other countries and I've been to other cultures. Um, I was astounded actually the times that we spent in Ireland, kind of in the countryside. And like, it was just slower. It was just really simple. There was lots of times sitting around a table, maybe enjoying a Guinness and some stew and talking and just hanging out. And like with no, you know, there was not this insane busyness and noise and car. I mean, it just was different. It was just different. It was very different from our society and it was very noticeable to me. However, simplicity can also be a grace. It's a grace because the life that comes from our efforts is given to us by God himself. And we know this by our experiences. The results are always in far excess of the efforts that we put in. We put in a little bit and God does so much more, kind of like the boy with the fishes and the loaves, right? If we will give God a little bit of room and space in our lives, he will do so much with it. And the life which simplicity brings is a supernatural gift to be graciously received. Seriously, it's a blessing for me to drive an old truck. It really is. Because, you know, I don't have to worry about if somebody dings my door or if I scrape into something or, you know, like, like heaven forbid I get in an accident and it's totaled. It didn't cost that much. It's paid for. I'll, you know, it's okay. I don't have to stress about it. 
I, I remember uh, one of my old pastors, uh, his name was Blaine. Um, and whenever he would get a new car, he would go out to the left rear panel and take a hammer and smack it, put a dent in it just to get it out of the way, just so he wouldn't have to worry about it. I thought, well, you know, that's one way to like kind of give it up. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says, I'm not telling you this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience the overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. You don't have to worry about it. God's got you. Quote directly from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline book. I love this quote. It's one of my favorite ones in his whole book. We really must understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It is psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. And it is time to awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Awaken to the fact that conforming being like a society that is sick is to be sick oneself. We are called to be different as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We are called to be salt and we are called to be light. And can we do that? Can we step up and do that? And jump in a little shorter time in the discipline of solitude. Distraction. Distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving their full attention to someone or something else. This morning, I thought, well, I'm teaching on simplicity. I'm teaching on solitude. I should probably do the thing that I'm talking about, right? Like, I should probably actually put this in practice. And I, you know, I generally do, although I'm going to confess that these last eight months, my spiritual disciplines have been pretty weak. They just have. There's so many things distracting me, and there's so many things going on that my spiritual discipline life has not been what it should be. Uh, so I confess that to you this morning. But this morning, today, I got up, okay, I'm going to spend a half hour by myself just in silence before God. So I started. My dog started drinking water, and all I could do was focus on the sound of my dog lapping water. And then I recentered myself. I'm like, okay, Jesus, me and you, me and you. And somebody, we live on Summit View, Somebody drove by with a big thumping bass. And I'm like, okay, I'm distracted again. So I'm listening to this big thumping bass. Boom, 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 boom as they're driving by. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to focus on you. It's me and you, Jesus. All I need is you. And then I hear some bird or something, I don't know, like moving around in the rafters because it's so quiet. I'm like, God, this is harder than I remember. <laughs> There's so, I was so easily distracted. And I know 
that part of that is, is because I have gotten out of the practice and out of the discipline of doing this daily. Because there was a time when I could go and literally, I'm not even kidding you, I could sit in the middle of the mall, because I did it just to make sure I could. I went and sat in the middle of the busy mall, and I meditated, and I focused on God. And I was alone, even though I was surrounded by people. And I was able to reach that place where it was just me and Jesus in the middle of a busy mall. Because I had worked up to that, and I had practiced that, because that's what discipline will do. If you've ever played sports, muscle memory is a real thing. We can develop a spiritual muscle memory of peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and all of these things. We can, we can develop a spiritual muscle memory so that even if the dog's drinking and somebody's driving by with their thumping bass, it doesn't distract us. I love this. Calm is a superpower. And it is. Peace, calmness, serenity is a superpower. You can have somebody just going off on you and still just be in a place of complete peace. I remember once being in a meeting and somebody was coming at me and I just, I was fine. It's like, it's okay. You know, you're upset. I get it. It's okay. I'm calm. I'm fine. And then afterwards, one of my, one of my coworkers at work was like, how did you not get mad? Like, how did you not like go at them the way they came at you? I was like, you know what? They can think about me what they think about me. They're not Jesus. So what? It's on them. In our day, God is using the spiritual discipline of solitude as a liberation, the great liberator. In solitude, useless trivialities of life begin to drop away, says Richard Foster. We are set free from the many false selves that we have built up in order to cope with the expectations that others place on us and we place on ourselves. Solitude empowers us to walk away from all human pretense and manipulation. When it's just me alone with God, it allows God to speak into me to who I am without any outside influence. God can use our experience of solitude to enable us to become who we truly are. We begin slowly at first to just live simply before God, right? We talked about the simplicity, live simply before God. And then increasingly, we become, start seeing things with greater clarity. And as a result, our successes and our, our failures and the things of this world, as Scripture says, start to fade away. They no longer impress us or oppress us. How many times have all of us been influenced and been oppressed by the way other people see us, right? How hard is that to live under? Experiences of solitude root us in a deep abiding hope, a hope that sees everything in the light of God's goodness. 
Because it's just, it's just us and God, and God can speak to us and to who we are. In solitude, we are so bathed in God's greatness and goodness that we come to see the immense value of our own soul. God can speak to your soul and say, I love you. I care about you. You are good. You are worthy of my love. You are my joy and my delight. And I care for you so very much. God can speak that to us when we're alone with him. Sometimes in the insanity and the busyness of the world, we just can't hear it. We just can't hear it. Because all of our experiences of solitude are in the presence of a living God. Because we're doing this as a spiritual discipline, not just to get away from people. Although I get that too. I'm an introvert. I get it. Like, I just need space. You know, I get that. But this is like a, a discipline that Foster's talking about here. In times of solitude... We become enveloped in God's very presence, in the presence of God. When's the last time you just got alone with God? When's the last, if ever. Maybe you've never just placed yourself before you and God, and it's just, Lord, here I am. Lord, I am your servant. Speak to me. There's a deep connection between solitude and silence. Silence, you see, creates in us this open, empty space where we're enabled to become attentive to God. And we need so much of this space in our techno world, right? <laughs> I know I do. Like, my phone contains everything now, right? Like, email, text, video, all of the internet, funny cat videos, you know, all the things, right? Like, it's got all of them. And to quote the bard in Macbeth, it's full of sound and fury, yet signifies nothing. And I'm guilty of this one very often. However, Jesus models solitude for us. In Luke 4, after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. And after that, he was tempted by Satan, right? And then began his public ministry. Isn't it funny how often... The enemy shows up when we're alone. <laughs> I've noticed that. Like the enemy will often show up when I'm alone. Mark 6, Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to do ministry. And when they returned, he encouraged them to separate from the people who were following them so they could rest. We need to learn to manage our energy. Jesus knew the discipline of do, do ministry Take care of people, allow the Holy Spirit to move through you and in you, and then find space where you can be alone with God and get filled back up again. We have to learn to do that. Matthew 14, Jesus learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded, and so he went away by himself. Even the Son of God needed to mourn, and he just wanted to be left alone to do it. If you've ever lost someone, I'm sure you know that feeling. I'm sure you know what that's like. And Jesus shows us that's okay. Luke 6, early in his ministry, Jesus spent the whole night alone in prayer. And then that next day, he chose his 12 disciples. Sometimes if we're making a really hard decision, it can be helpful for us to get alone with God, to pray, to listen, 
Not everything has to be a corporate decision. Sometimes we just need to be, be alone with the Lord and listen to his voice and then follow as he directs. Luke 22. Hours before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mount, Mount of Olives and spent a short time away from his disciples, right? They were down below and he went up on the mountain to pray. He was in great emotional agony knowing what he was about to face. And sometimes when we're struggling, we just need to get alone with God. It's like, Lord, I'm really wrestling with this. I need you. And just get in God's face. Luke 5. Many times in Jesus' ministry, he spent time alone in prayer. Corporate prayer is awesome. I love corporate prayer. I think it's amazing. I really do. Because I can kind of hear your heart. You can hear my heart. The Holy Spirit's moving through us together, right? We're, we're reaching for God. But sometimes we just need to get alone to really be able to hear God. Do you do that? Like ever? Do you? I don't do it enough. I need to do it more. As I was writing this, I was convicted about a lot of it, not in any kind of bad way. It was a good... God was like, hey, you used to do a lot of this stuff. What's up? What happened with that? Where'd that go? And as I said earlier, I'll confess that um, there's been some real times of just real, like, super deep struggle in the last eight months. And some of my spiritual practices, um, I lost them somewhere along the way because of all of the, the, the struggle. I lost them, and um, I need them back. I don't know about you guys, um, but maybe you do too. And that's why you're, you're hearing me talk about it this morning. I think, I think the Lord is really calling us into a, a season and a time and a place where we press into him and we push into him. And we need him. Because as I said earlier, Jesus is always on the throne. Jesus is always on the throne. And nothing happening in our world surprises him. And we have to keep the kingdom of God in the forefront of our eyes. Or we will be hopeless. We will have despair. We will worry we will have fear. We will have anxiety. All, all of these things that we wrestle with will show up if we don't have our focus on God. But if, if I can keep my eyes on Jesus, if I can say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, if I can say, Jesus, you come first. Jesus, you're first. Above everything, above anyone, above anything in my life, Jesus, you are number one. You are first. If we're truly to call him Lord with a capital L, if Jesus is truly to be our king, if Jesus is our king, then our king deserves our allegiance. Our king deserves our full attention. Our, our king, our Lord, deserves for us to not be distracted by the, all of the things in the world around us. He is worthy. 
He died for us. He cares for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is worthy of our full attention, of our complete adoration, of our love and our effort and our purpose must rest in his hands. And so I'm going to do a short prayer and we're going to have some worship if, if the worship team would like to start making their way up here. Lord Jesus, we give you our lives. Lord, just as you gave your life for us, we give our lives to you, God. Lord, would you show us how to be in your presence. Lord, in those ways and those circumstances and those places where, where we don't even know what that looks like, would you teach us, God? Lord, by your spirit, would you teach us, Lord? Lord, we want to be with you. We want to be in you and near you, God. Lord, we give all that we are and our whole being to you, Jesus. So, Lord, change us, remake us, make us whole, God. Amen.